tuned into How to OT, making research more accessible and more consumable for the occupational therapy practitioner. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. Okay, today I'm joined by Karen Schneedel. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, Karen. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Uh, so am I. Karen is actually known as the MVP of our <laughs> OTD cohort. Um, I think you earned that title just from being so fun-loving and easygoing and just well-liked overall. I am blushing right now. I know you can't see me, but um, I don't think that's that's true, but thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Karen, you went to Ohio State University for your undergrad. Is that correct? Yes. And what was it like going to such a big football school? Oh, my gosh. I loved it. Um, I'm a pretty big football fan myself, um, so most of my favorite memories stemmed from the big football environment that we have there. I think one of my favorite memories was my senior year. We beat Michigan in double overtime, and my friends and I all got to rush the field, and just being there with so many classmates was just such a cool experience. So I really, really loved it. Uh, I can only imagine. I interviewed at Ohio State for um, their OTD program, got put on the wait list, so didn't end up going there. But while I was there, I saw their football stadium and it looked amazing. It's so big and beautiful. So I bet that was such a fun experience to rush the field. Yeah, it was, it was really awesome. And I hope I get to go back there soon. Hopefully, hopefully sports start up soon and you'll be able to see a game next season. But no promises. Fingers crossed. <laughs> awesome. Well, before we dive into talking about your doctoral research and some of your experiences in the program, I wanted to ask you uh, if maybe you'd like to share a little story about why you chose to become an occupational therapist. So it's actually a little heartbreaking, I think. Um, so at, at my high school, we had during homecoming week, a powder puff football game where the junior girls played the senior girls in football and I was playing quarterback and <laughs> was running in a touchdown when I think I was tackled I kind of don't remember exactly what happened but I tore my ACL I did score the touchdown we did win but it was it was pretty tragic so that landed me in physical therapy for about nine months. And I realized that that was something that I could see myself doing because I was interested in healthcare, but didn't really know where I wanted to go with that. And so through those nine months, I was like, you know, therapy could be pretty cool. And then as I did more shadowing and like looked more into it, I realized that OT was probably a better path for me. It's so interesting to me how so many people discover they want to work in healthcare once they get injured or like need to use healthcare for some reason. So that is pretty funny, but also props to you for still scoring the touchdown MVP of your powder puff uh, team as well. I would guess. Um, there are some pretty embarrassing picture, like class pictures where everyone is like crowding around me and I'm like just bawling. So that's a little embarrassing. Um, I would like to, I don't know. I think I just landed in the end zone. So it's not like I like got back up and kept going, but I agree. I think it's, it is really astounding to me and 
it's really sad that it takes an injury for people to realize that healthcare could be a good path for them. But sometimes you don't know about careers until you have firsthand experience. Now let's kind of shift and start talking about your research. So you completed a poster that you were planning on presenting at some conferences. Is that right? Yeah, I was accepted at AOTA, which was canceled. Um, And then hopefully I will be presenting at the Education Summit this fall. But we'll see. Yeah, hopefully hopefully so. That's going to be in St. Louis, right? Yeah, yes. So I will be coming back. So your poster is titled Outcomes of International Service Learning, colon, Alumni Perspectives. Yes, it is. What is service learning right off the bat? So service learning is an active learning technique that's really common throughout allied health education, specifically occupational therapy. Um, And it's a really cool opportunity to combine academic knowledge and what you're learning in the classroom and then applying it and getting some hands-on experience uh, while you are meeting the needs of a community. It's supposed to be mutually beneficial. So both the students that are participating and the community are both benefiting from this experience. And what led you to complete this research study specifically? I, when I was looking at, at research labs, um, I was thinking in terms of my long-term goals. And I really hope to enter academia one day. So I was looking at labs and research projects and related to higher education. So when I was looking at different projects, I also knew that I was hoping to attend WashU's International Service Learning Trip to Guatemala. And also I had like a lot of friends who had participated in similar experiences. So as I was uh, talking with Dr. Milton, it kind of just, I guess, snowballed the idea of, well, we see that all these students are participating in these experiences, but then we don't know how that's impacting them in their careers. And so many students are taking a part of this, that it's, it's important to look at that, that aspect of the experience as well. And so it kind of just continued to snowball from there. And now I, I still find it so interesting because since it is so common, I imagine that my future students will also be interested in participating in these experiences. So I think it's cool to hopefully be able to reference what I've learned from this project and maybe take it further and take all that information and use that to help future students as well. Absolutely. I love that level of foresight that you have. And it's fascinating to me. You're not the first classmate I've interviewed that has said their doctoral research that they're completing as a student is going to affect their future career as an educator of students. That's amazing. So props, props to you for having that perspective. I hope it works out, but either way, it's been a fun experience to go through this process. Can you tell us a a little bit about the WashU uh, service learning trip to Guatemala? So the trip was established in 2010. So we've had participants going for 10 years. And typically there's 12 student participants. So there's two student leaders and then a mixture of second years and first years and Last year, we actually had a third year going as well, which was helpful since she had that previous fieldwork experience. And then there's two supervising OTs that come and kind of help to guide the group. 
So I went this past year and kind of the setup of how it worked is uh, we got down there and we went in collaboration with Hearts in Motion. So they, that organization has several clinics set up throughout rural Guatemala. And so on different days, we would travel to these different clinics and Hearts in Motion would kind of broadcast that an OT group is going to be there. And so then, and they also provided translators. So then this provided the opportunity for OT students to gain experience with clients of all ages at various clinics. We went to schools, orphanages, even if a clinic was intended to be for adults. Um, we really saw a huge range. I saw someone, a few kids under the age of two, all the way up to probably 90 years old. So a huge spectrum there, which was really cool and helping to um, really provide a generalist perspective and see some things that I probably would not have the opportunity to experience here in the United States. In the clinics, when seeing these patients, it really gives students the opportunity to assist with assessments, treatments, education of the client and the family, as well as uh, we did a lot of note writing because then, um, you know, since we were only there for a limited amount of time, in order to increase sustainability, we would leave these notes so the next therapist to pick up could read what we were doing and build off of that. And same thing. Were you writing your notes in English or Spanish? In English because, well, I can't write in Spanish, but also um, the notes that were there for us to build off of were in English as well. And so like the leaders of the clinic were able to read um, English and Spanish in case there, and there were the translators there as well. So therefore, if therapists came in that were Spanish speaking only, they could help with that. Also, we held an in-service for local clinicians, caregivers, and teachers to educate them. So that's also a portion of every year. And so this past year, what we did um, was we presented and gave examples of how to create assistive technology that's low-tech. For instance, we did a lot of positioning using cardboard and like pool noodles, or then we created some like one-handed devices or built-up handles using like cardboard and tape. So we educate on those and low-tech um, communication boards. Uh, so the teachers were really excited to see that. So that was another, it's another portion aspect of the trip um, that's not just treating patients, but also is very important. And then lastly, uh, usually the trip um, has lots of opportunities to experience the culture of Guatemala. So for instance, we had the opportunity to visit a local hospital, tour a prosthesis clinic, um, different schools and orphanages, and just to really get an idea of what Guatemalan culture is like. That sounds amazing. How, how would you say working as an occupational therapist in Guatemala is different than here in the United States? It's very different. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that helps students grow while they're there. Um, one of the things right off the bat was just the availability of different supplies. So you really have to learn to be resourceful and creative and do some problem solving because as I'm sure I'll mention later, culture really has such a huge impact on occupation in terms of what occupations are meaningful to your client and how they're performed. And so 
in order to really benefit the client and and make an impact you have to ask a lot of questions to because how they're doing something is likely not how i perform it or my clients here in the united states would perform something it's not really until you get a full picture of how the client is performing an occupation um, that you can do the problem solving and figuring out how to help, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. It's, it's really interesting to me. And it sounds like there's definitely a, a different level of resources available. And <clears throat> excuse me, and the environment is really different. But the OT process and approach remains the same. And I think that's a testament to occupational therapy and how it applies across borders and across language barriers. And people can still benefit from OT no matter where they are or what circumstance they find themselves in. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the main takeaways and something that's that's really important for students to learn is that regardless of where you are and what um, population you choose to practice in your career, having those that set of generalist skills where you can take your OT lens and use the frameworks that we've learned and apply that to any situation um, is a really cool set of skills that we have. Before we dive into now more of your research, I want to ask if you would like to share a personal story or clinical example of something you learned while on that trip to Guatemala. So I think that one thing that really struck me, as I've kind of mentioned to you before, is how important it is to act in a way that's client-centered and to really ask questions and make sure that you have captured the full picture. For instance, one client I had um, had a lot of nerve pain and neuropathy, and she was mentioning that she was having trouble sleeping and showering, and that she was having her husband help her with showering. There was a team of us, uh, me and two other students, that were trying to figure out some ideas that could help her, and um, none of our suggestions really seemed like they were going to help um so we're like okay like let's like let's start over like let's ask more questions finally we understood that she was showering not in a traditional shower or in a bathtub or anything like that because i i believe if i'm remembering correctly we thought the issue was getting into the bathtub but she was showering in basically like a a very small narrow hallway like she was showing us it was like maybe two by two with a bucket of water at her feet. Um, and so this was a bit of a safety risk um, for someone uh, with neuropathy that can't feel her feet, especially with the risk of slipping. Um, and so she was explaining how she kind of goes on the wall and, and squats down to reach the bucket. And so after we got this information, we're like, okay, well, a, a long-handled sponge, like this, this could help. And so once we showed her that and kind of practiced using it and educated on that um, then you could see in her face that she was so excited and that seems like it could be something that could really help her and increase her ability to clean herself but it wasn't until we really asked those probing questions that we were able to understand her environment and figure that out thinking back on it it's kind of 
alarming to think that if we would have stopped and not asked those probing questions, we might not have been able to solve that problem for her. And she might have gone away feeling frustrated or more hopeless. Instead, we were able to hopefully make a difference. And I guess because of that, as I've, I've gone through field work and as I will continue to interact with clients, I'm really trying to make a conscious effort not to assume anything about how a client performs an occupation and making sure to ask those questions and take the time to get to know the situation. This is just a, another example of how important it is to communicate with your client so the treatment is most beneficial to them despite the ideas that we have as therapists. So I think like overall, it was really difficult to not be able to communicate with clients as easily as I can for the most part here in the United States um, because I don't speak very great Spanish. I'm certainly not fluent. And even with translators, it was, it was really tough to not be able to just respond right away or to not know if I'm getting the full picture of what's happening throughout field work and throughout current um, client interactions and throughout my career. I really want to remember how frustrating that was for me. And so that way, you know, when I have a client who um, English is not their first language, or if they have aphasia, or there seems to be some communication issue, I want to be able to be empathetic for that situation because I, I know how frustrating that can be um, when there's a disconnect there. And also just to remember that if the communication issue is a result of the client not speaking English as their first language, really taking the extra time to making sure a translator is available or some kind of translation device is available because it does make a huge difference. And going the extra mile to making sure the client has that interaction can make a world of difference in terms of how they're feeling and how they're able to connect to healthcare workers, which impacts outcomes. So that, that empathy piece, I think, is also really important. Absolutely. Um, personally, as someone who's never worked with a, a translator in providing um, OT or any kind of service, what would you suggest I could do or another practitioner could do when working with a translator to make the client feel like you really are talking to them? I think it is honestly a skill to learn how to use a translator correctly. And I think for someone who has not had that experience, the main takeaway would be to keep looking at your client. Don't look at the translator because the, the conversation is between you and your client. So you don't want to be, even though I may be speaking to the translator or listening to the translator, it's supposed to be a conversation between me and the client. So I'm going to keep my eyes on the client. The translator more acts as a means to facilitate that conversation. Um, let's go ahead now and, and dive back into your poster, Outcomes of International Service Learning, Alumni Perspectives. So your study looked at this annual service learning trip to Guatemala, but I want to ask you about some of the background research or some key findings from your literature review uh, that you uncovered. Well, I really found that you know, a lot of research exists on the benefits of service learning, both domestically and internationally for students in OT programs and allied health programs. So some of the things that I found were for international service learning, um, this provides an opportunity to practice hands-on clinical skills, 
you know, in the classroom, we've practiced these transfers, we've practiced the OT process, we've um, performed interventions, but it's a chance to get out in a novel situation and, and try those things out and really gain those skills there. It also enhances professional development through learning to communicate and work as a team and collaborate. International service learning also helps students to increase their cultural awareness. They're being taken out of the culture that they're and um, environment that they're typically used to practicing in and having to adapt to the needs of that new community. So that can kind of bring some, some cultural awareness that impacts your ability to practice culturally relevant OT or culturally relevant any kind of client interaction. As I mentioned, there's plentiful research on the benefits of students and I could probably spend an entire day or hour talking about that. Um, so I was pretty astounded to see that there was a really scarce amount of literature on the effects of international service learning for healthcare professionals overall. And specifically, I was really surprised to see that I couldn't find anything on the long-term effects for OT practitioners. And I think that this was, was shocking to me because international service learning is so common throughout allied health education. And all these participants are graduating and having careers, but we just don't know how that goes on to affect them. Um, but we continue to provide opportunities for students to go on these trips. So I felt like it was really important to continue and ask, you know, how, how is this experience per, like, impacting them throughout their careers? Is it impacting them? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I feel like it's clear to see how these trips and certain types of learning benefit students, but the goal of learning should be to impact students in their professional careers. Um, and it sounds like you're literally at the forefront trying to establish a base of evidence for using international service learning to investigate whether or not they influence students' future careers. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Well, so let's dive into it then. How did you how did you design your study and look at this question? Well, I guess when we were looking at it, um, because we have had this internet the Washu trip to Guatemala for the past ten years, Dr. Belton and I recognized that we had this group of alumni ready, um, and there is like a closed Facebook group of past alumni participants, and we have. Um, a roster of all their email ad addresses. So we kind of thought we would start there with our convenience sample. And so we had 105 past participants. So that's kind of where, you know, we're like, not a lot of this literature exists. So we have to start somewhere. Let's start with what's available to us. In terms of going with a qualitative design, that was chosen because there is such a, a limited amount of, of research available that we had to start somewhere in terms of trying to figure out what that is. And so a qualitative survey was constructed with the intent of capturing the full experience from the alumni perspective. And so I actually constructed the survey myself after looking at the literature review and with those open-ended questions to try to capture the whole experience and making sure, like I didn't want to limit what I was understanding or to miss out on a potentially big piece um, by asking like multiple choice questions only. So I came up with this survey and then um, 
I sent it to four content experts to look through it and provide feedback and recommend additional questions to, again, make sure the survey would capture the entire experience. I have a really good double-barreled question for you now. Okay, I love it. What questions did you ask in your survey and what did you do with the responses? So some of the questions I asked in my survey, um, a few examples, I provided a definition of culture and then asked, asked participants to tell me, how do you think that culture impacts occupational therapy? I also asked, why did you personally want to participate in international service learning? I also asked, uh, what are some highlights of the WashU OT international service learning trip to Guatemala that have had an impact on you, your career, and your professional goals and skills to really try to capture how this experience has impacted them post-graduation? I ended up getting 30 responses. Um, out of 100 eligible participants because the content experts that I sent the survey to to review, obviously, like, I, they were ineligible to respond. All of the eligible participants had to have already graduated from OT school um, and also participated in the trip. So, therefore, some of um, the people who have gone but have not graduated were not eligible. So, that's how it ended up being 100 past participants. We had to code all the, the responses using a conventional content analysis approach. So for those of you who are not familiar with this kind of approach, it means that codes are constructed from what you're reading itself and not from any preconceived notion. Um, and this is most appropriate when there is limited literature and you're trying to kind of establish literature on a topic. So basically, uh, two researchers on the team um, independently coded all the data. So I would read all the responses for a question and then go back to one response and construct a code for what they were saying. So two of us independently coded and quantified the data. So counting up how many times each code appeared. And then we met up to talk about the codes and collaborate to come up with categories and themes and statements to support the themes. What were some of the themes and, and sub-themes that you came up with in this coding or categorization process? So the first theme that we uh, came up with was the evolving professional self. And so this has three sub-themes. The first sub-theme being a desire to work in non-traditional areas of OT. And some of the statements that supported this sub-theme were this international service learning experience helped develop a deeper respect and interest in working with communities of need. And the entire trip is providing meaning to my career and an understanding of, of all OT can be. So the second sub-theme was professional soft skill development. And the statement that supports that is, learn to collaborate with individuals despite language barriers using other means to solve problems. And these are statements from participants in your study, correct? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention that. These are responses taken directly from different responses to questions on the survey, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and so the last sub-theme um, for the evolving professional self was the acquisition of technical skills and knowledge. So uh, the statements that support this were expand my clinical skills as a generalist 
maintaining the ability to think about function and participation in context. And another quote, great opportunity to challenge my creative thinking, problem solving, and OT skills. Okay, so then my second theme that I came up with was that international service learning results in a transformative personal experience. And some of the quotes that supported that, quote, helped me grow so much as a human and challenged my own beliefs and privileges. It made me see new perspectives. And another one, it was eye-opening and challenged me in ways I never could have imagined. I grew so much as a human from this trip. And lastly, one of the best, most enlightening experiences of my life. So those are the themes and sub-themes that we came up with. Uh, I was I was going to ask you why these themes and some themes are important, but honestly, those statements from the participants in your study, I think, do such a great job at illustrating how valuable a learning experience like this can be um, in gaining and expanding occupational therapy skills and also gaining and expanding your your perspective on on how you approach and and treat someone. So I think that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, it is pretty cool. It's awesome to see how this experience does impact uh, professionals. It it sounds very empowering. I think so. So what did you find from conducting this study and looking at all these responses from participants? Well, um, I think that the results indicate that international service learning has a sustained lasting influence on OT practitioners that extends beyond graduation in a variety of ways. I found that the benefits of international service learning post-graduation are consistent with the literature on the benefits of international service learning for students, which was pretty cool um, in terms of, you know, gaining those um, technical skills and knowledge and experience, as well as uh, professional soft skill development. But there is some limited research on how international service learning impacts some professionals, allied health professionals, for instance, um, medical students. There was one study that talked about, you know, why they may have chosen to complete or work in an international rural location. Um, And some of the motivating factors there were a desire to work with underprivileged population and to increase their knowledge and clinical skills. So again, these results support that information, whereas there are similar motivating factors, these, these skills and these, what we found from these themes and sub-themes, it's important for students to develop these skills while they're in school and then to go on to practice with these skills um, because it's clear that, that culture is on the forefront of their minds after this experience, even um, up to 10 years out after going on an experience like this. And similar to students, this study identified that practitioners with increased cultural awareness are better prepared to practice culturally relevant OT. This skill is necessary to meet the the current and future needs of our diverse set of clients because there are some projections that say by 2055, the United States will not have a single racial or ethnic majority. So culture and diversity is a topic that affects everybody. Lastly, I think this is important because there are ACOAT standards that say that OT should be able to practice culturally relevant OT. It's part of AOTA's Vision 2025 to provide accessible, culturally responsive, and customized services for all. 
clearly um, international service learning supports the values of OT education by shaping professional identity through active, diverse learning and self-reflection and really promotes lifelong learning. So I think that these results are important in terms of OT programs that are looking to establish or expand their international service learning opportunities or for students that are considering going on these types of experiences. I really love what you did with this project and what your findings ended up being. I think most people would say that international service learning is cool and you know, might say, oh, what a cool opportunity. But you've actually found a way to begin to define and quantify why international service learning is so cool. And it's because these benefits from it last literally a whole decade after going on this experience and can influence practitioners in such a lasting way. Um, so I think that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. If, if a program wants to start an international service learning trip, how could they incorporate something like this into their curriculum? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I would suggest programs maximize student opportunities for both uh, domestic and international opportunities. It's a big process to start up an international trip. Um, so even if you just start by exposing your students to different cultures available in your own community or just getting outside of the classroom and outside of out of one building and what you're used to, that can be really beneficial. I would encourage programs that are looking to start an international service learning trip or to create opportunities to um, talk to different OT programs that already have established international service learning trip experiences. For instance, like a student who might want to participate in something like this, but their school doesn't currently have an opportunity, talking to your student activities coordinator to see if it's possible to get one up, up and going, um, reaching out to students at other schools with other programs to get more information. But also I think that for programs that are trying to incorporate more service learning into their curriculum um, or to best prepare your students, one thing I, I would suggest is that if you're trying to start up a, a program like this, it does really require adequate preparation prior to the trip. Um, this is not something that you can just show up at the airport on day of and just jump on a plane. It requires a lot of preparation. For instance, at WashU, um, we take an entire year to prepare for this trip with two-hour weekly meetings to make sure we have a full understanding of the culture of Guatemala and the current or the conditions we might be seeing and going through case studies and practicing Spanish um, to make sure you're doing it the right way and prevent harm to the community you're going into. Connecting with different organizations, if you're looking to do it domestically or internationally, for instance, um, WashU goes through Hearts in Motion in Guatemala, which I would highly recommend. I think they were, they were wonderful and have a really great program going down there um, with multiple established clinics and throughout the country. And you touched on a little bit what students could do if they want to engage in this kind of experience but aren't aware of the opportunities. Is there anything else you wanted to say in relation to that? Or I think even for students, if, if there's nothing set up throughout your school, you can always take it upon yourself to experience a culture different than your own. 
um, whether it be volunteering at different areas uh, throughout your city. I know here in St. Louis, there are so many ways to experience different cultures and increase your own cultural awareness that have no affiliation with the school. Or they, you can talk to uh, mentors or, or um, other students or teachers at your school to, to figure out some opportunities that you could do that um, without necessarily participating in a, a specific type of service learning. Um, I think it's more of a mindset to increase your awareness of what's going on around you. Awesome. I love that. Um, I want to shift now to ask you some more personal or opinion-based questions. So first off, what have you enjoyed most about your project? I would say overall, I really enjoyed this project. I think the highlight was probably when I finally got to read the responses that I got from my participants. Like I honestly was getting chills reading them um, because it was just really cool to see that this experience is so impactful. That's a testament to your passion about um, this subject as well. Uh, what's What's been difficult about completing this research? I think that the qualitative design um, was a little difficult for me because it's not something I, I had a ton of experience with um, and it's a unique kind of difficult skill that I had to learn in terms of how to identify codes correctly. Also, it was a little tough to reach all of my participants because I mentioned we have a roster of all the emails of past participants, but I found that a lot of those emails were school emails. So obviously you don't have access to that after you graduate. So it was a little difficult trying to figure out how to connect with the most amount of participants that I could. And you touched on this earlier saying how you want to eventually be in academia, but how will this research influence your future practice and career decisions? I'm, I'm still currently trying to figure out, you know, what setting is, is best for me personally to practice in. Um, and obviously, before I can educate future OT practitioners, I need to make sure I have experience. But I still believe that um, this research and the experience of an international service learning trip will impact me throughout my career, regardless of what population I choose to work in, because I think that the lessons that I've learned will apply to any situation. That generalist perspective, a greater understanding of the role that culture plays in occupational therapy to ask those questions. Also, going back to my examples of client interactions, I think that making sure to take the time to ask those questions, get a full picture, um, making a conscious effort to practice with client-centeredness, and overall just being empathetic towards my clients in the situation, especially if they're in a situation that's really different from what they're used to, or if English isn't their first language, um, just making sure that treating everyone as a human should be treated and being empathetic in all situations. I think that's really going to impact my future practice. Also, I think that this research and this experience will impact my future career decisions um, because whenever I, I do go back into higher education, um, like I said, I'm not really sure where my career is going to take me, um, but I do hope to continue with international service learning and to 
have more experiences like this, um, potentially as a mentor on the trip or at whatever institution I end up in, maybe acting as that fa faculty mentor far down the road. So it's something that I would like to involve throughout my career in some way. Absolutely. Is there anything in addition to what you just listed that you hope um, other OT practitioners take away from your research and your experience? I would encourage everyone to try to expose themselves to cultures different than their own. Um, if possible, go on an international service learning trip. Talk to your students about these opportunities and these experiences and talk to your clients and see how culture is impacting their occupations. Culture is, is honestly the bread and butter of OT. That's another quote from one of my survey responses that I, I just really love. Um, and it shows that regardless of where you're practicing, um, it's important to, to consider that. Is there anyone you'd like to acknowledge or thank in the completion of this research? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, thank you, Dr. Milton, who has been my mentor throughout the past three years and helping construct this project. I'd also like to thank Caroline Booth. She helped um, to code this data, um, as well as my content experts, Catherine Hoyt, Taylor Grootwasink, Courtney Weber, and Molly Graybill, who really helped to construct this survey. And also, I want to thank all the participants that went on this trip with me and helped me to have this experience for myself. I don't think it would have been the same without them there. They also played a big role. And obviously all my friends and family for supporting me throughout this process. Of course. Can't forget about, about the Schneedel clan. All right. I've got one final question for you and I think it's a good one. All right. I'm excited. I call this the golden nugget question. <laughs> um, so Karen, what's one thing that you've learned from this research that you wish everyone knew? One thing I, I wish that everyone knew is that even though I have talked a lot about all the benefits for students and for practitioners, there is a high risk of potentially doing harm for the, for the host community, um, especially for short-term trips. So I think that it is so important to recognize this potential to do harm because that that's not the correct way to do service learning. It should be mutually beneficial. And so I think that it's really important that if you are going on a trip like this, or if you are trying to start something up that as a group, you talk about what your goals are together and making sure if you're going to go on a trip, you need to have the right intentions um, and avoid harm for the community, focus on sustainability. So even though a lot of these clients, we only saw them once throughout the trip, um, we were still able to focus on sustainability by educating the client and the caregiver, finding solutions like adaptive equipment or home exercise plans or things that they could take home with them um, and trying to frame it in a mindset of, okay, I have one interaction with this client, how can I most benefit them? And also focusing on sustainability in terms of, you know, this client may have traveled four hours to see an OT and they might not be able to see another OT again for a year. So we're going to spend as much time with them as possible and we're going to do as much as we can for that client instead of just seeing them for an hour and then ending the session. So that was a, a cool opportunity that we were able to do that. 
also making the effort to increase sustainability while you're being there in terms of documenting notes. Um, that's something that Hearts in Motion doesn't have to involve, but in order to make sure to help your clinic run smoothly and be most beneficial for your students, that's, that's really important. So I guess one thing that I would want people to take away is to, before um, engaging in any type of international service learning experience to make sure that you do your research and understand the risk of potential harm um, for that community and making sure that if you're going, that you're going with the right intentions and going to do everything in your power to avoid harm for the community there. I love that. International service learning isn't about you. It's not about going to another country and posting about it on Instagram. It's about creating lasting and sustainable change for the people that you're working with wherever you go. Yeah, I mean, there obviously, like, as we mentioned, there are benefits for students. And I wouldn't say it's like not supposed to benefit the learner because you are learning these valuable lessons and getting these experiences that you would not have in traditional practice in the United States. But it's, I guess, you don't want the lessons that you're learning to come at a cost for the community there. And I love that you mentioned the Instagram post um, because you're right. Like, I wouldn't want to log on to Instagram and see a picture of me as a child where someone came in and was, oh, look, I, I came in and helped this, this community. And so I think that that's another point that I didn't, I wasn't necessarily aware of um, when I started doing this research. But, you know, it's important that we made sure that we asked before we took pictures and we didn't post anything online that showed clients' faces because they're, they're people too and they didn't ask to be broadcast throughout social media. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Karen, thank you again for your time. Thanks for sharing your experiences and your findings. Um, it's been great listening to, to all this work you've done. Thanks. Um, it's been awesome to talk about it with you. And thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been so fun. Thanks for listening to How to OT. Tune in next time for another episode where we bring accessible and consumable research straight to you. That'd be great. A great, great revisit of St. Louis. I'm definitely going to take that out because I sounded stupid saying that. A great revisit. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I think, can I start over? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, let's start the whole podcast over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me, uh, let me restart the recording. <laughs> Is somebody messing with your poster without your knowledge? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh no. Whatever. Sorry, that was some mess. <laughs> uh... <laughs> no worries. It was a it was a confusing question.
wait, that doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Wait, what was the question? <laughs> Okay. Wow. 